Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Today on Focus on Why, I am joined by the wonderful Catherine Morgan. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Amy. I know we were just saying um, beforehand that I remember when you launched this podcast and just between the two of us trying to correlate diaries of when to come on your show has been a job. So (laughs) I'm so glad to be here today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I'm really, really thrilled to have you on the show because you were instrumental in those early days of me thinking, oh, what do I do? What podcast do I do? Because as one door closed, another has opened. And you were definitely a huge part of helping me shape the direction of which is now easily seen. You know, it's easy to see with hindsight. But at the time, I was definitely in a bit of a fog. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. So let's talk about you because this this episode is all about Catherine and I want to ask you what is it you're doing at the moment? Well we've just moved countries (laughs) so right now we've just moved uh, to a beautiful island of Jersey which is a little island sandwiched in between um, the south coast of the UK and and the north coast of France Um, and we used to live here many years ago we we lived moved out here in 2008 just before the kind of financial system collapsed and we got married over here and had my uh, my first son over here my first business over here and then we moved back to the UK four years later and now eight years later we're now back here again so it's a real It actually forms quite a big part of my why story, which I'm really excited to share with you today, because it was really what happened to me whilst living in Jersey that I've now returned to, but in a completely different uh, mindset, different perspective, different financial situation. Just I feel like a completely different person. I feel like I've been on really a really long personal journey over the last 10 years or so. So it's quite serendipitous I think to actually be back here where it all started well it's clearly meant to be we had to wait for you to move even though you didn't know you were going to move at the time to do the episode so great so what is it that's so special about Jersey or what is it that sort of has been part of your journey yeah I think a big part of my journey recently and I'm sure this is familiar to many of you listening to this is that in the last 18 months everything, the world has changed, our lives have changed. And this one single word kept coming up for me in the last 18 months. And that one word was spaciousness. And I'm the sort of person who I'm very high empath. I feel the pain and traumas of everybody around me and everything around me. And so what best supports my well-being is having spaciousness. And the number of times I would go for that typical 1st of January walk and think about what's important in life. Where do I want to be? What matters to me? What's my vision? What do I want to create change in the world for? You know, what, what's going to keep me waking up feeling motivated every single day and creating an impact in the world? And this one word kept coming up, spaciousness. And at the time we were living in a little village 
um, around Buckinghamshire, which had a lot of spaciousness of fields. And we had a dog this year. So we've had so some lovely time to enjoy that space. But there was something for me about being close to the water. And we kept coming back to this conversation of, well, should we just go back to Jersey? Like it's, you know, it's a little island that's nine by five miles long. It's surrounded by water. And for me, when I'm when I go on holiday, it's the one time where I feel free. And we all talk about financial freedom, right? We all talk about having more time in our lives to do some of the things we want to do and having the financial freedom to be able to do that. And I, I sat there just feeling like something was missing. And it wasn't, I wasn't missing more money necessarily, because I think sometimes we focus way too much on more money, more this, more doing, you know, more clients, more wealth, more profit. And yes, those things are super important. But for me, unless you're going to ground yourself in an environment where you can enjoy that wealth and income um, in the world and in your life, then it's kind of pointless. So we just decided that, well, how can we create this spaciousness? And this is something I'm really passionate about. A lot of people talk about, you know, how do you find your why? How do you find your vision, your purpose in the world? And you have to start with what feels right. Because if you end up going down a route that feels in a misalignment of some way to your, your sense of self and what is a core to your own values, then you end up being misaligned further down the line. And that misalignment can then result in emotional, irrational decisions or a, a feeling of stuckness, you know, of not going anywhere and feeling frustrated and then and comparing yourself to everybody else. I think comparisonitis is probably one of the, the worst evils. Um, so that that's kind of where I started as I started. How can I create more spaciousness for myself? And I can't actually remember what your original question was now, Amy. <laughs> I've got off completely on a tandem there. No, it was, it was a case of why back to the island and, and what was the, yeah. the the journey to to getting there and what had you almost left behind? Yeah, so the, the journey originally to getting to Jersey was back in 2007, 2008. I was working at the bank at the time. I've been working at the bank for about 15 years at that point. Um, and I followed the typical route really of entering into a job when I was 18, not really knowing what I wanted to do. I didn't know my why. Um, and I ended up working in the job because my sister worked at the bank. And I thought, my sister looks quite happy. She's earning a bit of money. That looks quite cool. I'll go and do that. And I had a place at uni to study law. I deferred that place. And I went and worked at the bank and, and never left. And every two years, I would get the itch, the entrepreneurial itch, that I now call it. Every two years, I would just be looking for that next thing. What I didn't realize until later on was that that next thing was never really going to be possible in the bank because the change that I wanted to create in the world was never going to be possible working in that environment. But I didn't really know that at that stage. And really, there were there were two light bulb moments in my life that enabled me to progress from feeling very stuck in a job that I kind of enjoyed, but I felt very misaligned. I felt like I was always looking for more more something but I didn't know what that something was there were two pivotal days in my life and the first one was living in Jersey so I had this two-year itch we flew over to Jersey for a weekend it tipped it down with rain my partner at the time we both looked at each other and said this looks like a pretty nice place to come and live so we rented our house out we moved over it was just the two of us at that time 
And when I was working at the bank, I would take my pay every single month and I would walk down the high street in Jersey and I would spend my money um, in a day on clothes. Because my belief was that if I feel better about myself, my sense of self, my, my body in particular, I'd feel more confident. I could do my job more confidently. I'd feel more fulfilled in life. And what I didn't recognize was actually I was using money as a way to fill a void in my life. And that void in my life was caused by core beliefs that I had created based on growing up and based on several different small traumas and little traumas. So small traumas and big traumas in my life. And so I would walk down the high street, I would spend my money, I would go into my overdraft, I would stick it on credit cards. And I lived in this huge amount of debt and shame cycle. And I see it all the time, even with you know, very successful six, seven figure entrepreneurs, we are, we end up living in this shame cycle. We end up living in a cycle of shouldingness, like you should be doing this with your money. And that really all just comes from consumerism, right? What we should be doing with money, how we should be growing our businesses, how we should be attracting clients. And so I end up in this shouldness for a long time. I always feel like I'm swearing when I say that. <laughs> And what happened for me was that I walked into the coffee shop one morning in Jersey on my way to work and in front of me was a leaflet. And on that leaflet was uh, somebody promoting their services as a style image consultant. You know, let me come and weed out your wardrobe, show you what shapes to wear, what colours to wear, what makeups to wear. And I took it home that night and I said to Gareth, my, my, my partner at the time, I said, um, I'd love to have this done. Like I'd love for someone to just come and give me some confidence. That was the first indicator there. I wanted someone to give me confidence. And we all know that no one can give us that confidence. It has to come from within, but I didn't know how to do that at that time. So this lady came over, she weeded out my eight wardrobes of clothes that I had in this little cottage. And she left me that day sitting on my little red couch in Jersey in the winter and I sat on that couch surrounded by about 14 bin bags worth of clothes. And I just cried my eyes out. And it was like suddenly someone had given me permission to get rid of all of the stuff I'd been hoarding in an attempt to feel better about myself, my sense of self, my self-worth. And it was like a light bulb moment. I then, I then kind of acknowledged that, hold on a second. So my sense of self has nothing to do with how I look and how much money I have or don't have. And I always talk about the fact that really with money, money is about three things. It's about how comfortable we feel to receive, how comfortable we are to hold on to that wealth, and then how com comfortable we are to give wealth away. And for me, I couldn't hold on to it. I just needed to get rid of it as quickly as possible because it felt shameful to keep hold of it. And a lot of you will recognize this in your, if you're an entrepreneur, you'll you may find it difficult to charge your worth or or you know ask clients for money that's bringing money in or you might have difficulties with holding on to it in the fact that you're constantly investing in your business buying courses programs more courses more programs thinking that that's going to be the solution to you building your business and we actually forget that that lack of inner confidence is really where the the success lies and so 
I decided to train as an image consultant. I flew over this lady from the UK. She trained me as an image consultant and I set up my first business. It was an image consultancy business working with women who just had children because by that point I was then pregnant with my first child. And I had this little flat in Jersey and I would have these little workshops in the corner of my lounge. And, uh, and that then progressed into a, a second business, which was then um, selling products that I would cross sell, if you like, to, to ladies that I was styling. So jewelry, scarves, fashion uh, that led to my second business, uh, which I then went to sell on five years later of, of building my own jewelry range and going and going to all the trade fairs and selecting all the stock and learning about minimum value orders and, and how to price and how to launch my website and take photographs of products and all of these skills that have really helped me to grow my business that I have now. But that one particular day when I was sitting on that red couch in Jersey just reminded me of how far now I've come of now sitting on my couch and now having completely detached my sense of self to money. And that, I guess, is, was the one biggest light, the first one biggest light bulb moment I have of this is what I now need to do. I need to go and create change for people who feel limited in creating that success for themselves because of the relationship that they have with money and the relationship that they have with themselves. Because really money, the relationship we have with money is the relationship we have with ourselves. It's like looking in a mirror and the relationship we have with ourselves isn't just the relationship we have with money. It's the relationship we have with everything in our life. So it's not just money mindset that you're working with. It's essentially a sense of self-worth. Yeah, hundred percent. It's it, it for, for many people that sense of self worth is in the I am statements. So when we hear ourselves say things like, "I'm bad with money," "I can't take risks," um, "I can't be spontaneous," um, "I'm I, I've made terrible financial decisions," you know, it creates this cloud, if you like, of self judgment, of shame and guilt, responsibility, judgment. All of the, I want to say negative emotions, but they're actually not negative emotions because all emotions come to service in some way. But those emotions can create um, our behaviors to go into self-sabotaging behaviors. So for many people, they make decisions thinking that if I just do this with money, I'll be better. But what we don't do is look at, well, what's the cause of that behavior? How do we change the behavior? We change the behavior by going back to looking at the core emotions that we feel when we think about money and talk about money and manage money, and also the core beliefs that we've established with money, which have actually gone right back to that imprinting period, which is the age of between zero and six. That's when we our core belief around money is formed. And there's actually lots of evidence to show it goes even further back than that through epigenetics and intergenerational wealth patterns. And we actually end up inheriting a whole bunch of trauma and guilt and shame and judgment from previous ancestors, which is a really separate, powerful conversation. Um, but that's that's the stuff we have to work on first, because when we can understand what are our limiting beliefs, what is the relationship with money that we have formed as individuals with money, then we can start to change the behaviors by focusing on changing those core beliefs and the way that we change core beliefs is not by changing what happens because we can't change what's happened, but by changing the perception that we gave to that experience. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm with you here and I, I've done a lot of work with timeline hypnosis and timeline therapy and it really is such powerful ways of understanding what the root is. So let's take take you back and you had this sort of epiphany on your red sofa and, and now you're back. I don't know if you've got a red sofa still, but it's, it's, it's pink now. <laughs> there we go. Excellent. And, and it's a case of you were surrounded by those bags and you, you said you were really tearful, but it was mm. almost at that sort of sense of release. And being an empath now, you're or, or always have been. It's a case of you still carry with you emotions and you said they serve us. Mm. How do you almost not detach yourself, but how do you work with people without getting so involved? So uh, some people will, will sort of say, you know, detach the emotion, make decisions from a place of logic. But that's the rational conscious mind that's telling us that and sharing that information we know that over 90% of our decisions that we make particularly around money come from the the unconscious or the subconscious you may have heard to the, this referred to as and really if we if we're going to embrace that emotion then it's important to first of all acknowledge that the emotion is there and where does that come from so for any of you that have ever read any of Brené Brown's work her work is incredible around how emotions work and how they serve us. And she describes them as like a tunnel. And what happens is if you try and block the tunnel or block the emotion, then it doesn't serve us. Because actually what happens is that we know that emotion sits in the body. It's what causes um, stress around money. It's not money in itself that causes stress. It's the emotional reaction that our bodies have that causes the stress, that causes the arguments at home, that causes the, the time off work, the impact on our mental health, you know, all of those kind of things. So the first thing to think about is, well, what is the emotion that you're feeling and where do you feel it in your body? Because actually money, we have to look at money from a, a trauma lens because money, you know, we, we carry it very somatically through our body and so for me for example if I get any any kind of guilt or shame or ickiness or fear all comes in through my throat and so why is that that goes right back to feelings of not feeling worthy or not being able to be heard growing up as a child I was always the one who used to put their hand up in class all the time and you know teachers would say to me you know let someone else talk so the core belief that I formed was, well, what you have to say doesn't matter. And so getting visible in my business very early on was difficult because I'm almost my subconscious is telling me, well, well, don't be visible because what you have to say doesn't matter. And I have to really I had to really go back and do a lot of inner work around where did that belief come from to then change the perception of that that six year old had of hearing that message from that teacher. And that's just one. You know, that's just one experience that I had of many. So understanding where do we hold that trauma in the body is a really important stage. And people think that this is like a difficult thing to do. It's really not. When you talk about money or you think about a stressful situation around money, just take a minute to, to think about, you know, where are you holding that in your body? Because that trauma is going to create a cognitive dissonance. So cognitive dissonance in the field of psychology is a dissonance between our contradictory beliefs or ideas or values and what we experience in the body. There's like a dissonance between the two. And this can apply to your vision as well, your why, because if there's a dissonance there between how you feel and your behaviors or your values, 
there's a misalignment. And, and it's the same thing when we're dealing with emotion. We have to let the emotion flow. You know, it's like money. We have to let money flow. If we block it or we don't, we don't look at it, we ignore it, it's not going to flow easily to us. A lot of people think this is like, you know, money manifestation, law of attraction, woo-woo stuff. It is to a certain degree, but it's really not because it really is just about you believing that it's possible by allowing yourself to feel those emotions. So when we feel the emotion of guilt or shame around money, which is a big one, the question to ask yourself is, whose shame does this belong to? Whose guilt is this? Because you'll probably find it's not even yours. You'll probably find that that guilt or shame is an inherited emotion. It's something that you're kind of, it may have served you in some way, it may have protected you, but it's also something that maybe you're just ready to hand back with love and appreciation and gratitude. Um, but that's the importance of emotion and money is not blocking it, not believing it's all negative, but actually, first of all, understanding, well, where do I carry that in my body? Um, bringing the somatic feeling of money um, as well as then looking at some of the practical steps. So what has the changing of your core beliefs and your behaviours led you on to do now? That's a really great question. I mean, probably seven or eight years ago, I was sitting here in £30,000 worth of debt. I was a financial advisor at the time as well. So you can imagine the guilt and the shame, knowing what to do with money and giving advice to everybody else, but not doing it for myself. And consequently, the whole journey has enabled me to not only get myself in a much better financial position where I'm now running a multi six figure business, um, but also I know how to, I know how I went through those changes and moved from a place of not feeling deserving of having wealth as a woman as well, and actually being able to help more women to have a better relationship with money so that they can step into wealth. Wealth for me, even the word wealth was like, huh, that's not for me. Like rich people are greedy. Why would I want to create wealth in the world? So, you know, under, even understanding the little messages that you heard growing up around money, which may have come from society, might have come from your parents, might have come from religious influences, may have come from personal experiences, may have come from lack of financial literacy, may have come from generational trauma. Bringing awareness to those different ways that we learn about our relationship with money can make the biggest difference. And, and it's the little, the little things that make the biggest difference. So now I sit here today back in Jersey on a pink couch rather than a red couch, but actually feeling worthy of being here, feeling, feeling worthy that actually what I have to share in the world does matter. What I have to say in the world will be heard. Um, and going on then to create that tidal wave of change in my industry, in my financial services uh, profession industry, so that we're not focusing on just the solutions, the product solutions, the pensions, the investments, you know, quite frankly, the boring bland stuff. We really want to be focusing on how do we change our beliefs, our patterns of behaviors, our negative self-worth so that we can feel more deserving to bring wealth in, keep hold of it and then grow it for ourselves and for the world. And it's interesting earlier that you said, Catherine, that you almost wanted to be like by the water because you've just used the metaphor there of a tidal wave of change. Mm. So you're, you're bringing it into your language as well as your environment. 
Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it is important because we all learn differently and we all have different, um, like different sensory participation. Um, I'm very visual. So every morning I now, I go for a walk on the beach. So I can literally live and breathe my why every single morning. It sets me up for the day. Um, so I think the visual aspect for me is really important. If you're, you know, if you have a heightened sense of smell, you know, even things like if you can't get to the sea right now, then, you know, I would have a, a candle on my desk that smelt of the sea. Um, I would be using words within my vision statements or within my, um, my core values that represented how I wanted to feel, but living it as if it's already happened. So that word spaciousness was in my values, was in my mission statement. Um, because even though I couldn't quite get to the sea until this year, it was still important that I start using that language, visualizing it, smelling it, seeing it, feeling it before I could actually create it. So share with us what your, your values, your vision, your mission and your why, what, what are they? Oh my goodness. How long do we have? <laughs> <laughs> so this is interesting for me actually, because your vision is something that you'll never reach. It's like your North star. You know, what's going to guide you to make every decision that you make every single day? Um, but it's something you'll never reach. It has to be limitless. It has to be spacious. It has to be vast and big and beyond the concept of even possibility. Um, and then your mission it is how do you know that each mission or milestone that you're working on is helping you to come closer towards that? vision so I always imagine visually my vision is sandwiched between two mountains in the distance that I'm never going to reach and along the way I'm on a road or you know I'm on a journey and along that road are going to be road signs and those road signs are my mission and I might have two or three different missions things that I want to do and then I go back to okay so what what are the values that I'm gonna every step that I take along that journey those are my values. Those are the steps of the values. So for example, my highest number one value is justice. Because any, I know that anything that is unjust in the world makes me light up. I'm like, right, I need to get on my soapbox and I need to go and make some change. Now, right now for me, that injustice sits around trauma of money, financial abuse. You know, it's things that are in my remit of expertise um, that make me mad. Like, you know, a good question to ask yourself is what makes you mad and what makes you really passionate and bring those things into your values? Because many of our values that we live by are inherited values, aren't they? Like, do you ever see yourself like, oh, I'm just doing the same as what my dad did or my mum did? They're just inherited values. And sometimes they'll serve us. But as soon as I came up with this injustice, I was like, yes, that is exactly me. Even as a kid, if someone was being bullied, I would be straight... I would be the one who'd want to go over and help them. Why? Because it called to my sense of self, my sense of purpose, which was injustice. So that's one of my values is how to, how do I create steps every day in my business, in my life that can move me closer towards helping to serve a vision that helps to reduce injustice in the world. And it's as simple as that for me. I, I step into my vision every day um, I have my mission statement up on the wall so I can read it out every single day, but I read it as if I'm already doing it. Even there's things that I may not be doing right now that, because it's not possible, 
I communicate that to myself as if they're already happening because that's the power really of stepping into that place of um, law of attraction is that I'm, I'm, I'm talking as if it's already happened. So that of course my brain is then going to clip on to that sense of certainty because the brain doesn't like uncertainty. As soon as you start creating a vision for yourself that's in the future, your brain isn't going to support you with that. You're setting yourself up for failure straight away because the brain does not like uncertainty. That's why people say to 18-year-olds, like, go and invest into a pension. And they're like, yeah, yep, yep, yep. And then most of us don't do it because who knows what we're going to do when we're 65 years old? <laughs> because the brain doesn't like uncertainty. You've got, to, you've got to bring the future into the present day as if you're already living it. That creates certainty and that helps you to reach your vision and your mission much quicker. So other than justice or or actually injustice more so, what else do, sort of keeps you on focus? Yeah, that's a good point there, Amy, you just said about justice, actually injustice. I always believe that you should state your vision in a positive rather than a negative. It's the whole kind of pain and pleasure theory. I'm much more motivated by the concept of creating pleasure than moving away from pain. And for most people, that's the best way to do it because otherwise... Um, moving away from pain is only short term. It's like sitting on a couch, isn't it, on a Sunday night saying, I'm going to lose three stone. The motivation is coming from a place of pain, not towards a place of sitting on the couch and thinking, I'm going to um, feel more confident in my suit, you know, or something that's more towards pleasure. So other than injustice, I mean, some of my other biggest values are um, love, and love is a big one for me. And I know it sounds like an obvious one, um, but part of that for me is about collaboration. Like I can't reach my vision without the support of other people, without a shared sense of direction with other incredible entrepreneurs. And I know that I don't want to build a business just by myself. I want to be well connected. I want to help other people to reach their missions as well and their vision. So collaboration also sits quite high up in my values list amongst about 10 others. <laughs> so, so what matters to you? What is the, the calling you've got now? What is the, what's the why? Right now, I feel called towards really expanding out that vision of reducing financial anxiety and trauma. So, and particularly for women, so that more women can step into a place of independence, not codependence around money. And that, that's more of around my mission than my vision. But I feel that having that mission right now is going to lead me closer towards the overall vision in my life of creating that powerful change around injustice. And right now, I just see a huge amount of possibility where there are a lot of support for domestic violence there's not a lot of support for financial abuse victims, current and past. Um, and I somehow feel called to do something around that. Um, I'm not quite sure what that is right now. And sometimes you don't actually have to have it figured out. You, you just have to have step one figured out and the rest of it will just happen. So right now I'm kind of feeling called to go and speak to organisations in that space. Unfortunately, I was supposed to be going out to Necker Island this September to mastermind with Richard Branson and do and you know have a look at some of the work that the Branson trusts are doing with Virgin Unite um, around injustice but that's been carboshed until next year with COVID 
Um, so yeah, really just looking at opportunities to help others to create more support for people who are in those situations. I just want to go back, Catherine, to the independence for women, because you're you focusing on women and assisting women in their financial literacy. Why do you think that women are beca- are so dependent on others in the financial area? So specifically for women, the reason that we are largely codependent is for a couple of reasons. The first one is um, generational. We have we we have as a as a as a gender for women been more codependent on on men, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's just been the way that we have lived. I mean, it wasn't until the 1960s that we could actually even open our own bank account. So, you know, it was the societal constraints that we faced as women that that fueled that enabling relationship with money. You've also got challenges around things like, you know, parents financially rescuing their children. It's a big challenge for a lot of adults now is that if they did get into debt in the past, and particularly debt, parents would financially rescue them because, of course, that's you want to help your kids and that's emotionally the right thing to do. But what it does is it creates uh, a society of reliant, dependable people around money and they don't take that responsibility for themselves. We then got layered on top of that, um, the lack of financial literacy, gaps in knowledge, gaps in teaching us how to manage money at a young age. So we only really manage money based on how we think we should manage money based on what our parents probably did or our caregivers growing up around money. So I think when it comes to creating more um, independence, not codependence, we have to remember that alongside all of those influences, women are living longer than men. We have a different life cycle to men. Um, So we do need to be taking better care of our finances, but not just the day-to-day stuff. You know, we need to be taking some more, I'm not sure what even the right word is here, but more responsibility or even just awareness. It doesn't even need to be responsibility, but awareness of our finances and Day-to-day banking, yes, but also things like investments and long-term planning needs. Um, Because it's very, very likely that we are going to be left managing that wealth um, going forward because we do live longer than men, generally speaking. So I think there's a a, a number of things that are happening in society that are creating the need for that to happen specifically for women. But I also think that there's a huge amount of generational trauma that we have to be conscious to so that we feel okay to step into that place of wealth to step into wealth as a woman to not feel like it has to be the man that brings in the money and for the men as well to not feel threatened by that because for most men they will naturally feel threatened by that because it's the whole hunter-gatherer mentality isn't it it's the men are the providers women are the caregivers So it automatically, through our generational patterns and cultural beliefs, places these values on us as men and women. And I'm not not a financial feminist. I'm not a big believer in women should do this and men should do this. There's no shoulding of anything. We just need to be more mindful and aware of how do we create more, a, a better sense of responsibility and awareness around money so that we can make better decisions for ourselves. And it's fascinating because I, I 
really identify with being one of the women that you are talking about and have moved away from that position. So go back five years or so. And I recognized how ignorant I was in the financial literacy in in that area of of the finances in our in our home in in our long term wealth and it was in investing in myself and and in learning more about what I could do to to disrupt that to change that and in the process I changed my I am statements you know I used to say I'm rubbish with maths and I you know I don't know how to do this or I don't know what that means or and it was a case of well then find out because as you say women do live longer than men. You know, the chances are that I will outlive my husband. And if he had that responsibility all all life, I would then die in poverty because I wouldn't understand how to take care of myself. And the other thing is being a parent, isn't it? Understanding how you are showing and creating as a role model to your children, both, both parents' perspective, what that role model is showing to their children. And Absolutely. The Millionaire Next Door, that book changed the way that I think about money and how I pass on those those thoughts of, yes, of course, I can rescue my child, but I rescue them in that moment. When's the next time? Where's the learning from that? So really valid points. I think what you said there actually has reminded me, Amy, of um, sometimes as parents, I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be that role model. And absolutely, children will learn through observation. Um, but they will learn a lot from their own experiences and what we say and don't say about money. But also, for, when I think about role models, yes, we want to be role models for them, but we also want them to be the role models. So we want to empower them. We want to help them to feel or be empowered, not to look at other people. Because what happens when we look at other people as role models is we then make a comparison of them to our sen- ourselves, our sense of self. That's not empowering, that's disempowering. We wanna create role models in our children rather than bringing all these expectations that we have to be role models, or, or role models ourselves. I 100% agree. And it, it's it's been really interesting to sort of come, I'd say late in life, you know, as a midlife beginner, I've come late to understanding about how to create, how to hold on, how to, to give wealth, you know, the whole sort of philosophy of profit first and set in itself. And, and that's not new, you know, that goes way back to, to sort of the thousands of years ago of the systems who have always been there, but they've not always been recognized of, of what works and what doesn't work. And, and as you, you know, it's about passing down knowledge and about then applying it and, and understanding how to, to deal with money in positive ways, because we've talked a lot about how money has got negative connotations here. Yeah, and I think it's passing down of that knowledge alongside passing down of the the thoughts, the emotions and the beliefs, because we can't necessarily impact on how our children, for example, um, are going to, you know, what their core beliefs are going to be. But essentially, a child's core belief will be formed in that very, very early stages, even right the way back through, even before they're born. So actually, if we take more responsibility and awareness to our own window of tolerance around money and so that we can feel more fulfilled in life, empowered and making balanced decisions around money, balanced decisions around saving and spending needs versus wants, for example, then yes, the the children around us or future generations will be able to pick up on those lessons. 
but it's really about bringing a child in particular to a place where they feel loved, they feel safe, they feel connected. Those three things are the most important things to a child, when they feel safe and, and connected and they feel like a, a strong sense of self, then in reality that forms a really incredible set of core beliefs that they can then carry forward into their future. And it's interesting that your core beliefs are mirrored in your core values. Mm. Absolutely. They're very interlinked. So how we communicate to ourselves is how we live our life. So uh, the language that we use, the narratives that we use with ourselves absolutely form the bedrock of our core beliefs. But sometimes it can be the other way around. Sometimes it's the beliefs that we have that form the values and the behaviours. So it's, it's just bringing gentle awareness to, well, what are your values? Do they serve you? Do they not serve you? Do they disempower you over empowering you? Um, and, and just challenging yourself from time to time around that. And we are actually going to be, oh, it's, it's not far away from, from the release of this episode, which is the World Values Day, which is on the 21st of October. And if you haven't looked at your values by now, you, I highly advocate and Catherine highly advocates that you do because it will make so much difference to the way that you align your work and the way that you align your life to those values. And I'd add to that as well, like once you're clear on your values, bring in money into the equation and a great way to look at how you live your values in alignment with money is to look at your bank statements, like open up your bank statements with your list of values and ask yourself the question, are you living in alignment with your values through the way that you're spending, saving and investing? So to give you an example of this, if you're spending a whole ton of money right now on books and you're beating yourself up because somebody's saying to you, oh, my goodness, you're spending that much on books and your top value is about freedom or education or learning, personal development, you know, those kind of things, then carry on spending that money on books because we shouldn't be comparing ourselves or shoulding on one another about what we should or shouldn't be spending. But also think about things like investing. You know, if, if one of your highest values is injustice, let's say, then where are you investing? Are you investing in tobacco, pornography companies, companies that are on the UK stock market, or are you going with more of an ethical approach? You know, so there's little things, little tweaks that you can make you know, go and have a look at where your pension's invested. I mean, most of us have a pension pot of some description. Go and have a look at where that's invested. Is it in alignment with your values? Um, so little things that you can do around, am I living my values every single day? And am I spending money in alignment with those values? I love that. I, I'm going to be looking at my bank statement later, but I already know the answer. Yes, they are mostly on books. <laughs> <laughs> but that that makes sense because for me, you know, it's it's a very important part of of who I am, and and acquiring knowledge is is definitely in my in my top values in terms of brilliance and achievement and and what I want to 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 make a difference and how I I want to accumulate that knowledge. So yeah, it will say lots of books. So I just want to say thank you, Catherine. It has been such a pleasure finally getting you on the show really appreciate you taking your time out from your very busy schedule and sharing with us more about what wealth can can do for our lives and what we can do in terms of understanding it so thank you how will people get in contact with you 
Oh, thank you so much, Amy. It's been an absolute pleasure today. Um, I have my own podcast in her financial shoes. So as a podcast listener, please come over and um, and, and listen to our podcast too. Um, but if you want some uh, sort of immediate things that we can help you with, then if you just pop over to um, katherinemorgan.com, that's Catherine with a C, katherinemorgan.com forward slash quiz, we can actually give you some guidance and some step-by-steps things that you can start doing right away to actually help you through each one of those three stages, whether that's stepping into wealth and deserving more money or whether it's holding on to it or whether it's actually giving it. Fantastic. Well, I'll make sure that those links are in the show notes. And do you have some final words for us today? Final words, final words of wisdom. Um, Oh, goodness, what a question. I think from everything we've spoken about today, don't wait, don't wait for your vision to happen like don't wait for yourself like to find that why if you're struggling of finding that why other than saturating all the content that you have on these podcast episodes Amy which I would highly recommend it's been some amazing conversations on this podcast um but if you're struggling with that just start living it as if it's already happened like just start living against your purpose which is impact without any expectations you know, don't wait for things to happen. Live it as if it's already happening. And if you do it in a, in a sense of what feels aligned, then you're always going to be heading in the right direction, even if it's not quite where you want to be right now. But imagine yourself, you know, you're on that journey. You're, each step you're taking needs to be in alignment with your values. And each of those steps you're taking is going to take you one step closer towards what feels in alignment with your truth and something you're super passionate about, or equally something that makes you mad that you want to change in the world. You know, think about those two things. What creates you a sense of fulfillment? What makes you mad? Blend those two together and just don't worry so much about the big big steps. It's the little steps that are going to create that momentum that will help you to bring that vision to life through change in the world. Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star Apple podcast review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of my inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. I help people to focus on their why with clarity, uniting their passion with their purpose with a plan to create the life they truly desire. If you would like me to help you focus on your why, then please book a free 20-minute coaching call via candidly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson. And if you haven't already, please sign up for the Friday Focus weekly newsletter via my website, amyrollinson.com. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.